Hello, and welcome to the Seminole Wrap, a podcast about all things Florida State. I am Tim Allenball, and today I will be joined by Matt Minnick of Tomahawk Nation to give a recap of Florida State's basketball season. In addition, I'll be touching on the recent decommitment of Nigel Kelly, what Florida State can maybe expect at the defensive end position in recruiting, all that and more on this week's Seminole Wrap. All right, as I mentioned in the opener, uh, let's jump right into Florida State recruiting before we spend about uh, 30 minutes with Matt Minnick. So this past weekend, four-star defensive end, Nigel Kelly announced his decommitment from Florida State. Um, there's no way to sugarcoat it. That's a big deal. That's a big loss. Uh, he was somebody that, that was really a, a relatively unknown until Florida State discovered him. Uh, offered him and he committed and then he has just recently blown up all over the place um, <clears throat> and here in the last month or so his uh, his recruitment has gotten shaky uh, and I just want to say I don't think there's anything that the Florida State staff could have done or handled differently about his recruitment it's this is not a a, a, a shot at them that they screwed up, that they made somebody mad or didn't handle it correctly. This is just a case of, of a player uh, who basically really started showing up on the, on the big scene and other teams took notice. Other teams have offered. There's a lot of talk about Georgia getting involved. And so this is a kid uh, playing the recruiting game. He's taken a step back. He's going to look at what his options are. He's going to make some visits now that the uh, dead period is going to finally end uh, come, I think, in June. And so it, it sucks, but that's recruiting. And so I think the one positive to take away here is that it doesn't look like he's done with Florida State, at least flirting or talking to them. I think he recently tweeted out something uh, to Papuchas about a birthday, even after his decommitment. Uh, again, Kelly's mom is, is very much involved here and a part of this process. And I think this is really just a case of a kid taking a step back and seeing what his options are. You know, it's never good when a player decommits because, uh, you know, history will tell you that decommitments don't usually come back, uh, but it's not completely closed out. But again, this is not, this is not anything the staff could have done differently. So um, let's talk about defensive end recruiting, though, for the 22 class. Uh, I would encourage everybody to go check out Noel Through and Through, um, <clears throat> David Stout's State of the Recruiting article on defensive ends. It's on Tomahawk Nation. You can either Google it or find it in our story stream, though. Uh, it was published on April 14th. Let's talk about who Florida State still has. They still have Aaron Hester, who's a high three-star, I think has potential to be a lower four-star. He's firmly committed. He's a legacy, um, and he's no slouch, to, to quote David. Um, he's got some amazing potential. He's very violent at times. Our, uh, our, our own coach, A.B., Adam Brown, did a scouting report on him where he's just got some really good power. His burst is is incredible, and and he just he explodes for lack of better words, just coming low and 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 just exploding out of that uh, into players, really crushing quarterbacks, uh, and he's just extremely to quote AB aware of what's going on. Uh, the other names to know, obviously Marvin Jones Jr., uh, another legacy son of Shade Tree, uh, probably one of the the biggest most important 
member uh, of this class that's not already committed, I would probably put Travis Hunter as number one there. Uh, the kids just got an offer from everybody, uh, and, you know, Alabama, Ohio State, you name it. He's he's being recruited by them. And, and so I think talking to David in the past, Ohio State's probably a name to know there because they just they seem to creep down into South Florida and, and pick up guys like this, thinking of the Bosa brothers and others. Uh, but Florida State really has, you know, an in here. This is this is somebody that. Yes, his dad is is a major reason, but Florida State's really trying not to key on that, and they're trying to make it make him understand that this is a recruitment of him and not the family, and they've made him a priority. And, and I think he's responded to that. He's supposed to come in November thirteenth for his official visit for the Miami uh, game. I, I think he, if he were to commit, then uh, I think it would put most of your defensive end concerns to bed. Uh, and not to mention the 23 class is already loaded with with a couple players like Lamont Green Jr. So Florida State is putting together a nice defensive end system. Uh, could really shore it up with somebody like Marvin Jones Jr. A couple other names to know. Kenyatta Jackson's a really good player. Um, I, I don't think Florida State's going to be able to beat out some of these big bigger names. They're just not at that level yet, but doesn't mean the staff isn't going to try. Uh, a name to know is Dante Anderson. He's another four-star uh, he's teammates with a guy that's a defensive tackle that Florida State's targeting, and Daniel Lyons, the guy's a priority. He's a he's a really good player and, and somebody that you could see Florida State make a move on. Uh, there's a couple other names like Richard Thomas, um, Jihad Campbell, uh, Quincy Wiggins. <laughs> I think that's the guy that 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 um, that David and I were talking about. He's just uh, a monster of a man. He did make the trip. Uh, and, he, and he's good friends with Emory Jones. So uh, Florida State looks to be making a move in that recruitment as well. But uh, I wouldn't be shocked as Wiggins is another player that just really kind of blows up based on his size and potential alone. So um, those are just some names to know at defensive end. Uh, obviously, Florida State's probably going to take two to three players at that position this year. Uh, again, Aaron Hester's solid. They'll still make a run at Kelly. Marvin Jones Jr., the big name there, and then a couple other players to, to know. Um, so at this time, though, we're going to jump into um, – we're going we're gonna to transition away from football and, and talk about basketball for a minute for Florida State. Um, you know, it was an up-and-down season for Florida State this past year. It was a COVID season where they missed some games. Uh, you got to see Scotty Barnes and really some flashes, and you got to see Florida State really throttle some teams at times. Uh, but you also saw where they they struggled a lot. And so um, I'll admit that I'm not the, the the biggest basketball brain. So I reached out to some of the, the guys that that write for Tomahawk Nation. Uh, Matt Minnick and Mike Rogner are two of the best. Uh, so we're going to spend about 30 minutes with with Matt to just pick his brain and get his thoughts on where Florida State's basketball program is, his thoughts on the past season, uh, what to expect in the draft, how Florida State's impacting the NBA, and also what to expect next year with Florida State basketball. So let's go there now. All right, at this time I am joined by Matt Minnick from Tomahawk Nation. He is also part of the Tomahawk Nation basketball podcast with Mike Rogner. They do a, a tremendous job. Matt and I were talking a little bit beforehand. They're just, they're giant basketball brains. And uh, we're lucky to have one of them on the podcast with us. Matt, how are you doing, man? Doing well. You know, it's, I mean, aside from college basketball season now, 
now being in the long winter before uh, it gets, you know, picked back up again late next fall. But other than that, doing well. Yeah, we, we like the joke on here about Brett Nevitt being like the, the baseball guru on the Florida State beat, especially with Tomahawk Nation. And like, I know he's like in prime, prime, uh, like spirit right now because Florida State baseball is like really the only major sport of the three that's getting talked about. Like when basketball is going on, though, that's like your spirit animal. That's when you're excited. And uh, it was a it was a pretty good season this this past season for Florida State. Some some may call it disappointing. Some uh, might call it successful. So that's what I want to kind of start off with, Matt. How did you feel about Florida State's past season? Yeah. So I, I'll say this: if if anybody calls the season in the totality as a disappointment, they are either uh, either extremely new to FSU basketball. And so their, you know, their experience goes back just the last couple of years, you know, with, with the new bloods here, which is fine. Always welcoming in new fans to the new bloods, or uh, they are, they are probably, I would say victim to having unmet expectations in most aspects of their life. Um, so th- that would be what I would say if anyone's calling the season a disappointment. To me, this was almost more so than the last, you know, we never really got to see what happened last year with with the Trent Forrest-led squad that featured, you know, NBA talent all over it and um, a senior, gut, you know, gritty senior guard. I-, I-, I firmly believe that was probably a Final Four team. We're just never going to have that answer, but this year, all, more than almost that one or even the year prior, um, the Terrence Mann senior year team almost felt like a validation for the for the program that Leonard Hamilton, Stan Jones, uh, CY, and of course, Dennis Gates, who's now up at Cleveland State, um, have built in Tallahassee, Tim, because, you know, we, we, that that potential Final Four team we just talked about lost. Trent Forrest, who's the all-time winningest player in FSU basketball history, uh, who, who, by the way, wasn't drafted but is getting run in the NBA. He's playing with the Jazz. Uh, it lost Patrick Williams, who was the fourth overall pick in the draft and is starting for the Chicago Bulls. It lost uh, Devin Vassell, who's another lotto pick, uh, who, who is playing you know solid minutes for the San Antonio Spurs. And, and to have all that happen, not – have an off season in which really any development could have could occur with COVID and still by most, by pretty much any advanced metric, be the best team in the ACC. Uh, they, they were 10th on Bart Torvik, 15th on Kim Palm. They went to the sweet 16. Those metrics were either the best in the ACC or in the sweet 16 case tied with Syracuse for the best in the ACC. So th- they were the best team over the, you know, over the course of the season in the ACC to do that after having to replace that kind of talent, it is just a real referendum on the level of program that that Leonard Hamilton has built. And I, I think if you if you talk to most people, they'll say their disappointment uh, may have just back with, been the fact that Florida State was in the driver's seat for the ACC regular season championship. Uh, they were in a very winnable game against Georgia Tech in the ACC tournament championship, and um, you know, just the, the last game against Michigan, Michigan really just left a bad taste in your mouth. But uh, as you said, I think those are just kind of disappointing moments in an overall successful season. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I look, nobody, there's no one associated with the program as a fan, coach, player, or, or anything else that would say that they feel like they, you know, 
performed against Michigan to the level at which I think they felt like they could or should coming into the game. Uh, there's nobody associated with the program that was proud probably of that performance up in South Bend, Indiana. I mean, that really, that was the worst performance they'd had in the entire season. And, and so it, to me, if anything else, those moments spoke, th- those moments highlight a team that, that lacked a Trent Forrest. Um, they lacked that, that senior leadership, you know, when, when you can't, having a coach is great, you know, having a, a good coach is great. Having, you know, being able to prepare, a t- prepare guys for a season for the grind of the ACC, but you can't replicate having guys on the court in crunch time who simply know how to get the job done and win. Winning, winning is a skill. We see that in football, baseball, basketball, anything else. And so, those moments were disappointing. You know, it's tough to look back on and say, yeah, they could have won the regular season ACC championship for whatever that's worth. The tournament is actually the real champion, but um, I think that more speaks largely to the uh, it's, it's weird. I think those moments were so disappointing because of the overachievement that perhaps the team had on, on the course of the whole season coming into the year, it was talked about as a team that, Hey, this is going to be a step back from the, from the pre, you know, certainly from the previous year and maybe even from the year prior wasn't really, yeah, there's Scotty Barnes, but he's a, a freshman. There's a lot of question marks or like people talked about it as this was like an eight seed, a nine seed. Hopefully they could get a double buy in the ACC tournament. Like hopefully they could finish top four in the ACC and they come out and again, just, exceed all those expectations to the point to where when you don't win the ACC championship, it was a disappointment. Um, when you don't win a sweet 16 game against a one seed, they didn't get to draw a 10 seed or what, you know, Florida drew like a 15 seed when they, when they're losing to a one seed, it's a disappointment. So I think the fact that those were disappointing moments probably speaks to how successful the season was, uh, particularly when, you know, teams like Kentucky and Duke didn't even make the tournament. Uh, and, and that, and, you know, honestly, they didn't have much less experience than Florida state had Florida state was replacing just as much talent as Kentucky and Duke Florida state was the only team in college basketball that lost two lottery picks from the previous year, only team. So I think that speaks to how successful the overall uh, season was. That's a great point. I hadn't really thought about Florida state, uh, really just set the bar high at the beginning of the year because they came out and just throttled some quality opponents, and uh, it really changed the whole aspect. You kind of touched on it there with with the loss of Trent Forrest, the loss of that leadership, loss of players that really know how to win games. What could have made this season even better? What was like the one thing that if this team had, this team could have maybe gone even deeper in the tournament or, or been a higher seed? Yeah, real point guard play is is I think the the – the answer that probably covers the most bases. I, I think that, you know, there's a, I mean, we, we could say co- like having an actual off season or getting a chance to, de- you know, Leonard Hamilton really likes to develop the depth, the functional depth in the part of the year that is the non-conference schedule with a lot of the like easier games. And so, you know, though, but a lot of teams were dealing with that, you know, so the lack of a real point guard, like a true playmaking point guard, um, Scotty Barnes is, is a very unique talent. And, and I think he will turn into uh, probably a, a capable point guard at the NBA. I don't, I don't know about like a superstar point guard, but he will turn into a capable ball handler, playmaker, uh, sort of like 
hybrid point guard slash, you know, small forward uh, in the, at the next level, he's not there yet. Raquan Evans, um, you know, the coaching staff mentioned that after, after seeing, after seeing the UF player, Keontae Johnson go down and, and nearly die on the court, uh, you know, in that game, he, he had dealt with something similar uh, with a teammate in, in his previous, you know, career and growing up. And, and, and so I think, he, he took a bit uh, that hurt him mentally during the season. And, and then he appeared to lose some confidence. But if you go back and look and look at the games in which Florida state played its best basketball, um, the home game against North Carolina in January, uh, Scotty Barnes didn't even play in that game. Raquan Evans played 31 minutes and he was, he was a, you know, an excellent starting point guard. Uh, the home game against Virginia saw, saw Evans play 20 plus minutes. Uh, the absolute annihilation of NC state, at home uh first of all it's a trend in these games they all took place at home but second of all um that you know again those were games in which raekwon evans was performing at a higher level and when when he sort of went into the tank with his own confidence scotty barnes was a little bit banged up and just really isn't a point guard yet mj walker is just not a playmaker it's just not who he is you know anthony polite not again maybe a little bit more of a playmaker than mj walker but still struggling there it just was a lack of a real point guard and, and that's difficult to execute. You can't execute against great teams for an entire game. When, when you have, when you don't have somebody like a Trent Forrest that can just like get the ball in the half court and, and make the right pass and be in the right position. There were a lot of times in the second round game of the tournament that, that I feel like that really stood out. They won that game, but they were just, almost like so excited or so amped up in that half court offense, they would just throw the ball just ridiculously away for lack of better words, or, or make terrible passes where it was just like, you could tell that that natural, uh, that natural leader couldn't settle them down or, or get them into the right play. Uh, and that really stood out to me. And I felt like kind of highlighted what you said there. And then, you know, I think it was really exposed against Michigan. Yeah, and, and Georgia Tech's probably the team that might have exposed it. So, first of all, Georgia Tech is a team that had a true, legit senior point guard in Jose Alvarado. And he they had that Trent Forrest kind of guy. And and with the way that Josh Passner coaches defense to kind of throw this like matchup zone at you, and and with the fact that he, you know, he gets to he's seen Leonard Hamilton teams now for years and they play us two, three times a season. Conference play is just always going to expose your flaws a bit more than non-conference play. That's just the reality of the sport. And so you know, the we lost in Atlanta in a game that quite honestly, neither team shot or played all that well. And then we lost again in the ACC championship game in a game that Florida state did everything well, except take care of the basketball. Um, And, and again, I I think that just came from, it's a lot like a a quarterback um, who's maybe given some time in the pocket, but is, is not quite sure of what read to make. And so he either hesitates or bails out of a clean pocket. And, and you saw that a lot in, in Florida state games, basketball games this year, where, where the pass was there to be made to the corner or maybe a lob at the rim, you know, somebody is open and there was either that moment of hesitation or just, or just uncertainty. And that resulted in the ball being held, you know, or picked up or it would get stuck in, in coach Hamilton's where the ball is getting stuck too much. 
And that's not a good thing. I mean, that's not a good thing when you're playing high level D one players, the ball gets stuck. It's that that's what Florida state on defense wants to create is right. the ball getting stuck. And then you get a deflection and a turnover um, or a bad shot. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, yeah, for Florida state to honestly be a sweet 16 team that really they played most of the season without a point guard, <laughs> I think speaks to the, the level of which they were able to cover up that, that um, warts with, with the best shooting that we've seen since Leonard Hamilton has been in Tallahassee. So let me focus on Scotty Barnes for a second. So, yeah. you know, he's going to be a point guard at the next level, that combo guard or slash small forward, ever, you know, kind of in that magic be a hybrid player. Yeah. Yeah. Ben Simmons esque uh, yeah. for, for someone who's playing right now. So let me ask this in college. Should Leonard Leonard Hamilton have played him differently or, or was the plan always to, you know, play him in that point guard role. And the only reason I ask is there were flashes kind of near the end of the season where he would be down by the block down low and almost could take over a game briefly, just like dunking on everybody or doing that little turnaround hook right there. Could they have maybe used him in a different manner to to have him more involved in the offense, or was this always going to be the the plan? Yeah, it's it's sort of a fool's gold question because he wouldn't be he wouldn't have been in Tallahassee if if it was to use him in a different way. Uh, there were other schools recruiting him that said, listen, we want to play you as like a jumbo three or a small ball four. Um, and we, we want to use you that way. And he, he didn't want to do that. That, and so, because at the next level, he he'll make a roster regardless, but him getting like a $90 million contract is going to be, if he is able to be like a big point guard. Um, so he wouldn't have been in Tallahassee if, the plan was to use him in a different way. Now, having said that after he got to Tallahassee, you know, could, could the staff have used him in spurts in games, um, you know, differently? I think the answer is yes. With a question mark, how much do you want to be someone who doesn't hold up your end of the bargain when it comes to recruiting, particularly in a sport where recruiting five-star talent is extremely important Um, You know, you have to judge that, but also again, what other ball handler did Florida state have in, in once, once Raekwon, Raekwon Evans sort of lost a little bit of his confidence. Again, MJ Walker's not the guy to, to be a playmaker. Um, You know, I guess Raekwon Gray is, was probably the second best playmaker on the team. And, and he maybe could have played, but then again, you're taking him away from what he's best at doing. Uh, which is catching the ball on the wing and blowing by a larger defender to get in the lane or get fouled. So they, they were kind of caught in a situation where nobody was all that good at handling the ball and being a playmaker. Scotty Barnes was maybe the best one to do it, um, arguably the best one to do it, and that's what he had been promised to do. Um, but whatever situation, whoever they put on ball was probably going to be taking them away from what they do best. Um, whether that was polite or gray or, uh, Barnes or Walker, um, you know, so again, they just didn't have a point guard on the roster. (laughs) Um, we'll, we'll get to that, how they solve that next year, but let's talk about who's leaving. Uh, obviously Scotty Barnes is leaving. Uh, Raekwon Gray announced uh, Balsa Kovarvika's Kovarvika's leaving. Uh, I, I 
did MJ ever actually announce? I know he had the chance to potentially come back, but he's he's leaving as well, right? I, I mean, I think there is an assumption that MJ Walker is leaving. I he has not announced. Um from from my understanding is it's it's not there is a greater than zero percent chance that he could come back. I think that March left a bad taste in his mouth and, and also just he played banged up for the last um portion, you know, third yeah. third of the season. You know, so I think that's a question that he has to answer with his family. Um, he, he's probably not a draft pick if he comes out, but he's also probably not a draft pick. I mean, maybe his ceiling is probably, you know, a late second round pick, whether he comes out now or whether he comes back another year and leaves next year. So I don't know that the draft is the big you know difference maker for him. Uh, but so I'd say it's a greater than 0% chance that MJ Walker comes back, but less than 15%. Uh, Gray's, Gray's gone. Balsa's is gone. Barnes is gone. Sadar Calhoun declared uh, it's the belief that he's just testing the waters. Now, sometimes guy could get surprisingly good feedback, especially an athlete of his caliber. But right. at this point, I would imagine that Calhoun probably comes back and Evans is coming back. Uh, notably, he had been on the fence about that. He participated in senior day, but I think the last I heard is that Evans will actually be back for his super COVID year or whatever, super senior year. Yeah. So let's assume it's those four, MJ, Balsa, Gray, and Barnes leaving. What's, who's the biggest, I guess, what's the biggest impact on Florida State as far as who's leaving the program? I would say the, the person who made the biggest impact last year would be Gray. Uh, gray, gray was the best player on FSU's basketball team this past year. The person that maybe would have made the biggest, let's to use a base to a volume, a value above replacement level with the people who are currently on the roster. That's Bolsa is the biggest difference maker in terms of his ability versus the guys that are currently on the roster's ability to replace that. Uh, Tenor and Gom is just not not ever going to be what Bolsha Koprovica can be. Uh, Quincy Ballard is your classic seven foot athletic man that probably is going to turn into something pretty special under Stan Jones, but he's not there yet. And uh, Naheem McLeod, the Juco transfer, um, I think is, uh, you know, better defensively at this point than he is offensively. So that's the, but, but there's a lot of open scholarships and, and a whole lot of players in the transfer portal right now. Um, so I think that maybe that answer would change depending on who comes on to the roster in the next month. All right. Well, let's talk about the, the roster in just a minute, but I want to first go to the draft. Those four, those four players, MJ Balsa, Gray and, and, and uh, Scotty. Uh, Scotty's kind of been predicted as the lotto pick. I think we've seen Gray and Balsa tossed around, and like you said, MJ is not not really. If he if he makes it, it'll be second round. But have Late you second. heard any? Yeah, have you heard anything different there? Uh, do you expect the the first three to get drafted? Scotty will be the first person drafted for sure. Scotty, I I don't think has the the ceiling of Patrick Williams to go top five. I I don't know. It, first of all, this particular draft is is extremely loaded with talent, and and that's been known for two to three years. This draft is a heavy, heavy talented draft. There are probably six guys in this draft who would have gone number one in last year's draft had, had any one of those six gone, you know, been, been eligible last year. Uh, I would say Scotty is, is a mid lotto pick mid to late, maybe somewhere in that like eight to 12 range. 
Um, and, and because there's going to be a team that just falls in love with his, with his size, his versatility on defense, his ability to, you know, he has very good vision, uh, even if the ball handling needs to be worked up a bit and, and just his willingness to, you know, he's just a, a good teammate guy to be around. So I'd say a team falls in love with him in that, you know, seven to seven, 12 range, uh, which is kind of where Devin Vassell was last year. Raekwon Gray will get drafted. I, I believe that. He could sneak into the first back half of the first round. I, I think that what is going to be, if he had a better three point shot, he'd be a lotto pick. But, you know, Zion Williamson and, and Bam Adebayo and these, the, these big, kind of quick threes and fours are kind of taking over the league right now. And people are trying to find folks who can defend them. People are, how can I defend Zion Williamson? You know, how can I stop this monster, you know, getting to the rim? And Raekwon Gray with his quickness and, and 260 pound frame is an answer for that. So I think that is, is appealing to NBA teams. And the fact that he can dribble the ball as well as Draymond Green can um, is, is a plus there as, as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if he went in the 25 to 30 range, which is late first, but I think he would for surely come off the board by, by pick 40 early second. Uh, Balsa is probably undraftable at this moment. And I don't think that really bothers him. Uh, he wants to go home. He's from Serbia. He, he wants to go play on the Serbian night, like go home and be around family and stuff. So, you know, could he have a great workout and get drafted in the second round? Sure. He's a seven footer. He's demonstrated an ability to shoot out to 16, 18 feet, but I don't think he's draftable at the moment. And that's probably fine with him. And MJ Walker has the one skill that the NBA wants right now, which is three point shooting. He demonstrated that for the last two years, he, he can shoot the rock from the perimeter he doesn't really do anything else. He's, he's not a great rebounder for his position. He doesn't have plus size for a shooting guard. He's not a great playmaker. So, um, you know, yeah, sure. A team could take him in the mid, mid to late second round, just because they need to short the shooting and have someone come off the bench and, and be like a poor man's Danny green, I guess. Uh, but I don't know. I'd probably take him up as a free agent if it were me and, and give him a shot on maybe a two-way contract. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good breakdown there. Um, I, I think Balsa, would have definitely benefited from coming, going back for one more year. But like you said, it doesn't really matter to him. Um, but I, I do want to say growing up in Kentucky, uh, one of the most annoying things I have found with Kentucky fans is how they always talk about how many players they have in the league. And it, it, to the point that it's just like, please, I'm just going to mute you on Facebook, you know? Sure, sure. <laughs> and they have a lot. And they do. <laughs> they, they have do. a lot. But uh Florida State is almost becoming like this poor man's Kentucky here in the last few years uh, by putting some some quality players in the league and, and they're making an impact. Um, like you said, Patrick Williams has had so many highlights that have gone viral on 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 social media this year. I mean, I think about the one lob block that he did was just. Oh yeah, that was that. Well, and I, so he's getting the nickname now of the paw, which yeah. uh, which which is appropriate on two levels. First of all, if you've been around that man or, or kid, I guess he's 19 years old. He's the second youngest player in the NBA. His hands are enormous. Uh, so the paw fits that way, but also he, he models his game after Kawhi Leonard and, and likes Kawhi Leonard, like wants to be, you know, like Kawhi Leonard and Kawhi Leonard's the claw. So I think the paw is, is a, an appropriate nickname for Patrick Williams. Sky's the limit for him. He's helping the Bulls turn. I mean, the Bulls have been terrible. Um, they had, they got, you know, Billy Donovan is their coach now, and they seem to be turning around. 
uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they sneak into the, whatever the play in game thing that the NBA is doing this year and, and maybe have a shot there at the playoffs. But certainly next year, I think, you know, you're going to see Patrick Williams become a household name. Um, you know, I'd say homeless man, Kentucky's the last few years, uh, cause they're still <laughs> putting out, they're still putting out a lot of talent, but Terrence Mann is really the guy who I think has surpassed a lot of expectations. I don't know if he surpassed our expectations, but um, he he's playing like rotation minutes for one of the best teams in basketball. If he wasn't on the Clippers, he'd be a starter. And he does get spot starts when Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, you know, does their load management for a game. And usually when he gets, when he starts and gets his 25 minutes, usually it's a box score of 17 points, eight rebounds, six assists, three blocks, which is exactly what folks, you know, have come to love about Terrence Mann uh, in Tallahassee. So he, he's a guy that is well on his way to earning a solid second contract. Dwayne Bacon's been getting good minutes for the Magic. Speaking of the magic, John Isaac signed a massive contract. He's one of the best young defenders in the league. He tore his ACL. So, you know, hopefully he's rehabbing well, but, um, and then Malik Beasley, when he's, when he's not in trouble with the law, Malik Beasley has been like a 20 plus point scorer for, for the Timberwolves and, and, you know, shoots incredibly efficient from, from the perimeter. And then of course, Vassell is, you know, stuck down there with Popovich and the Spurs that don't really play rookies a lot, but kind of like, man, when Vassell gets his minutes, he puts up stats. He'll play a lot next year. Yeah. And then, like you said, Trent Forrest is getting some run with the jazz as well. He is. He is. He's been on one of those two-way contracts that I, that frankly, I think would probably be fitting for, uh, for MJ Walker to, to start where it's actually a nice system. They, they get to hone their craft in the G league and actually practice and work on their game. But when there's been injuries or guys that need to rest, uh, you know, on the, on the main team, they can come up and essentially like move up to varsity and, and play, you know, a certain amount of games with the main team. And when they play those games, they get paid at NBA level. So uh, it's, it's a nice, a nice system they have. It's, it's definitely uh it's almost a triple a it is uh, a couple more it perks is. i think yeah a little bit more perks than triple that you're not having to to ride a bus around or whatever <laughs> yeah uh enjoy the homeless man reference uh I, I i use that around a lot of people they just don't get it so i'm, I'm glad that you uh you made that joke um all right so let's go back to florida state with wrapping up with like let's talk about next year let's talk about who's coming in at florida state Currently with the uh, number five overall class, number two in the ACC, uh, with some some big names like Cleveland and Worley. Um, and, and then they just got uh, Cameron Fletcher, the transfer in, the plus Caleb Mills, open spots. But let's talk about these players just real quick. I guess from top to bottom, biggest impact. So that that biggest impact is an interesting question. I, I can, I, I think the best play, the single best player coming in is Matt Cleveland. Um, he's, he's, I don't know if he's going to be one and done. It's kind of like Pat Williams. I think he can be one and done. And, and if he puts it together more quick, like if he gets the defensive system as quickly as Pat Williams did, then I think he'll be one and done. But because of all the aforementioned talk about a lack of a point guard, I think Jalen Worley uh, might have the biggest impact. You never want to put too much on a freshman point guard unless you're Roy Williams at UNC who used to bring in just basically NBA point guards ready to play. Um, so I, I don't think that from day one, I don't know he's a day one starter at point guard because that's just a tough ask, but he's the he's the best point guard prospect that Leonard Hamilton's ever brought in at, to Tallahassee. He, he's, 
this he's not like a four star who you know is a combo guard that maybe can play point or you know what like he he is a true you know distributor of the basketball and and has a good handle good vision uh and, and can also score so I think if he comes in and is able to play at a level that is, I don't know, like at least Ralph Mims level, maybe to go back at, like, I, I feel like he can really um, take FSU's half court offense to, to another level. And, and then of course you got the transfers, which I think they're going to have to start doing recruiting rankings in a different way with the portal being so like, because they don't even factor in uh, to the ranking, but it's like, right. how do you account for a Caleb Mills who, who is, probably the opposite of a Jalen Worley. He's more of a shot, like shot taker, shot maker. Like, yeah, he's a guard. He's got handles, but it's like, you know, I just want to get my step back in. Uh, so um, how do you account for a guy like that? Who's already been with the team since January and practicing. How do you account for Cameron Fletcher, who is a top 100 recruit? I mean, if this was a kid that we were getting out of high school, we'd be very excited to, that, that a guy who's a versatile defender, athletic above the rim player, not quite a great shooter yet, but guys, you know, have proven at FSU that they can improve in that area. Those guys should make an impact. It's difficult to, you know, they're not in the ranking, but they should make an impact. Um, and then McLeod, I mentioned the Juco too. He, he's going to be counted on for some defensive, uh, defensive prowess, uh, unless, you know, unless Florida state gets, gets one of the centers they're after in the portal or on the, on the recruitment trail. That was going to be the next question. I, I know, uh, I, I think I'm saying his name right. Efton Reed was was supposed Reed. to was yep. supposed to announce and then pushed it off. There was a lot of uh, late chatter about Florida State. Uh, do you have any uh, Matt Minnick not predictions but leanings that what will happen uh, with those uh, those other roster spots? No one knows about Efton Reed. That has been the quietest five star recruitment I've ever seen. I think that postponing it was probably not great for Florida state. I just, at any time that will Wade jumps in late. Um, and now I heard that Hubert Davis from UNC is kind of, you know, now that he's actually been named coach, mm -hmm. he's trying to jump in. I, I don't know that it was a good thing per se, but that doesn't mean that FSU can't still come out on top. What's interesting about Efton Reed is he is the exact opposite of most centers that we recruit. He's not overly athletic. He's not uh, going to be a, you know, run up and down the court and block shots and catch lobs. He, he's actually a really skilled basketball player, kind of in the mold of like a Kevin Love that, you know, that's going to be able to box out, get rebounds, you know, go over, you know, back to the basket kind of post player and, and has a shot out to, you know, out to probably 18, 19 feet. So I, it's not like he would solve uh, the like defensive press, like the rim protection presence. You, you would still need McLeod or, or Quincy Ballard for that role, he, he would definitely uh, solve some of the poke, just like the general post offense in, in the half court, particularly with a guy like Worley who could, you know, make an entry pass. Um, the guy that would, I would say probably is more intriguing is Trey Mitchell, who was a, uh, he was rookie of the year in the a 10, a couple of years back this past year, he was for all first team a 10 out of UMass. Uh, I mean, this, this is a guy who's like an 18 and seven guy in college basketball. He, he's a legit, probably stretch four, um, small ball five that would make an, an, I mean, a year of Trey Mitchell might be better than a year of Balsa, to be honest. There's a lot of smoke though, that in order to get him, uh, a person in his camp, I, I think it's like his, 
mom's fiance, like soon to be stepdad, who was, by the way, the assistant at UMass. Um, when Trey Mitchell left, he quit at UMass. So I think there is an assumption that in order to get Trey Mitchell, you may have to take on uh, that assistant coach, which I, I just don't know if, if Florida State has availability or, or the inclination to do right now. Um, but he is a talent for sure. And every day in the portal, there's more talent that comes in the portal. So, you know, keep your eyes out. Any other uh, names real quick, just to know there, as far as transfer or scholarships, I would say those are certainly the two biggest priorities. Um, I wouldn't be shocked about a ball handler, but I just don't know who, you know, there's, there's thousands of names in there and I just don't know who the, the specific ones that maybe we've gone, you know, we've reached out to, we've probably reached out to eight or 10 and, and I wouldn't be shocked if, if they're kind of waiting for, to see like MJ, are you actually coming back or not? Um, because like they, they need to, to get someone in the post presence. They'd like to probably have another jumbo wing or, or stretch four, but you know, there's only so many minutes and with already having Caleb Mills in the fold, um, MJ making the rare, you know, the, maybe the surprising decision to come back would probably mean that they'd go in a different direction with who they would, how they would use that last scholarship. So uh, this, this last question I have for you is probably kind of an incomplete because we don't know exactly what they'll do with those last spots or somebody like MJ Walker might do, but how do you feel about early, early thoughts about next year, just the outlook for the team as, as successful as this team chance to be better, uh, a step back. What are you thinking there? I, I think that the, the ceiling is a lot higher. Now the ceiling got taken down a notch when, when gray left. And, and I felt like it was probably 60, 40 that gray was leaving for most of the season. If you listen to Michael and I's pod, I've been saying like folks need to prepare that Raekwon gray like he, he is what the NBA is looking for right now. Um, so, but the ceiling got taken down a notch, but I would still say that, you know, this year's basketball team probably maxed out their potential there at the sweet 60. I mean, they did about as high as what you could have expected them to do. And next year, I, I think the floor would be more like second round of the NCAA tournament. Um, and the ceiling is, is, a, is at least a step high, you know, at least the elite eight, maybe a little further, but depending on the draw, but, I'd be shocked if they didn't finish in the top three of the ACC. I, I would be barring injuries, right? Like barring, like we have to assume that people are healthy and we don't, yeah. we don't lose, you know, three guys to broken legs, you know, for the whole stretch of the season, but barring injuries, I'd be surprised if they're not top three in the ACC. Well, Matt, it's been a pleasure. I've got to speak to you, I think a couple times now, and, and I always feel like I come out of the other side of this discussion with a lot more knowledge. And so um, for those of you who are listening, Matt and Mike, again, have a Tomahawk Nation basketball podcast. Literally go to wherever you listen to your, your podcast and type in Tomahawk Nation. It's the one that comes up. Uh, Matt puts out a ton of basketball articles. Uh, he's one of the best uh, on the beat at covering the team. Uh, has, a, has a good relationship with some of the, the staff there. Matt, uh, thanks so much for being on, man. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, I'll also shout out. I, I, I'm honestly not much of a Twitter guy. I don't know for better or for worse. I feel like my life's better when I stay off it. Um, but I'll shout out too that uh, Michael Rogner 
is on Twitter and he's, he's usually, particularly during the season, he, he's a good follow because he's, he's got, I think the right amount of snark. Um, oh, but, yeah. uh, so that's, that's at Michael Rogner. I think he goes basketball school, I believe is the handle that he's currently uh, going on with, with since Florida state is of course now a basketball school uh, <laughs> while we, while we hope Norvell can get his back up, up uh, yeah. football ranks. The, uh, the other thing is uh, I, I love following Rogner. If you uh, are, if you hate the charge rule uh, you'll, you'll love following Rogner. And I do hate the charge rule. Let me tell you. So well, you probably better get me off now if you want to end this uh, with, with 10 minutes to spare. Uh, Matt, thanks so much, man. Uh, looking forward to seeing uh, what Florida State puts on the court next year. Looking forward to the draft. And of course, always looking forward to your analysis and thoughts, man. Glad to be on. Do it again sometime. Yep. Thanks so much. All right. I just want to again say thanks to Matt Minnick uh, for his time, uh, for jumping on. Uh, I, I love I love talking to people like Matt or, or Brett Nevitt about baseball. People that are just like sponges about their sports that they love. Uh, just so much insight, so much knowledge there. So uh, again, thanks so much, Matt. So before we wrap up the show, uh, Florida State baseball was in action this past weekend with a series against Georgia Tech. Uh, they they won two out of three. They lost that last game. Unfortunately, the 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 pitching staff struggled a little bit in that last game of Florida State uh, lost one that they were winning there for a good while uh, but Friday night's game was a, a really fun one Parker Messick was just showing what Par- Parker Messick does and uh, Nelson has been just an absolute terror at the plate uh, hitting home runs or almost home runs and uh, I think the the uh, the other awesome part there is that I think he threw out his 11th runner of the season trying to still uh, he's he's probably been Florida state's best catcher. I don't want to say since Buster because I am not Brett Nevin. I don't have that knowledge base, but uh, he's been one of their best catchers definitely in recent years. Uh, so excited to see what Florida state can do this year. They're a top 25 team. Uh, they, you know, I, I don't think they're going to, they're going <laughs> to, they're obviously not going to win a world series. I don't think so. Um, Brett would obviously have more insight there, but this is a young core with a lot of potential uh, excited to see what Meat is doing there with with that core of, of especially with pitchers like Messick, and then they got Montgomery, uh, and they're they're just killing it on their recruiting trail right now. So uh, again, for all Florida State baseball coverage for everything uh, Florida State baseball, check out Tomahawk Nation, check out Brett Nevitt because he's absolutely amazing uh, when it comes to, to to covering it. He's the best on the beat. Other other sites, you know, they've they've admitted something similar uh, that that nobody really covers it like Brett. And he's got a lot of good connections there with the staff and the players. So just kind of wrapping it up, I encourage you to check out Tomahawk Nation. Uh, We've got a lot of information on there. Our recruiting uh, our recruiting articles are there. Our recruiting Q&A, you know, you can go and ask David and Josh any question at any time. Uh, our, our, our fearless leader, Perry, mentioned this past week that at, at the time, Florida State active teams right now had eight teams in the top 10. So uh, just just doing an just kind of being a, an everything school, for lack of better words, with the softball team has been killing it. The, the women's soccer team, number one, going into the tournament, men's golf, beach volleyball, several other things. But uh, Florida State's really got it going overall. So I, I know. F- Football's not quite where we want it, but uh, there were some flashes in the spring game. Uh, as, as Matt said, we're a little bit of a basketball school right now. 
baseball's in the top 25. Uh, so Florida State moving in the right direction and definitely excited where Coach Norvell's going to take the football team. Excited about Alfred uh, doing some things there financially. Um, the, the plans for the new, the new uh, facilities look amazing. Uh, looking forward to the, the renovations at Doak. Just a lot going on at Florida State. And Tomahawk Nation has it covered. So jump on there. Check us out. Uh, tell your friends about the Seminole Wrap. Uh, and, and Juan, we hope you feel better. And uh, for everybody here at Tomahawk Nation, I'm Tim Allen Ball, and that's a wrap. And uh, for everybody here at Tim Allen Ball, I'm Tomahawk Nation, and uh, I'm Tim Allen Ball.